Welcome to another Dragonlance Saga review episode. My name is Adam. Today I'm going to give you my spoiler-free review of Dragonlance Shadows of the Dragon Queen, or Shadow, singular. She only has one shadow. Five heads, one shadow. <laughs> uh, I'm going to be uh, basically giving you, because I'm not a 5th edition player, I, uh, again, I've played it you know, a couple times as a player, I've never DM'd it, but it's really not that dissimilar from other versions of Dungeons & Dragons throughout the years, and so I'm pretty confident I can speak to this effectively. Uh, and even if I don't, it's your choice to watch. <laughs> I'm in your hands! But I do thank you guys so much for joining me live, uh, really quick. D20 play, thanks so much for tuning in. I appreciate you. Welcome, Dragon High Lord Jerome. Good to see you, man. And you know what you just did by doing that? You just made it so I can add a new emoji. So I'm going to add the Lord Soth emoji to all of the other emojis that members of this channel get access to. No one else does. Just you. So thank you. That's awesome. Uh, make Anakin Knight. <laughs> How you doing, man? I think you change your name every, every new, like... I don't know. Every new chat. It's always new. Tide, how you doing? Good to see you, Kevin. What up? Uh, Solo Wolf, how you doing? From Australia. Oh, down under. How you doing, man? Jorn, I hope I said that right. From Sweden. Great to see you. Thanks for tuning in live. Lord South 5e stat block is awesome. You're absolutely right. He is a beast. Like, Death Knights in general are amazing. But Lord South is next level. I kind of think they made Lord Soth the way they did in this adventure. Uh, I don't know how, if I don't want to, I don't want to spoil anything, so I can't really speak to it. So anyway, uh, <laughs> I would like to take a moment and thank the members of this channel and invite you to consider becoming a member by visiting the link in the description below. Again, this is spoiler free, so I'm going to give you my thoughts about the game mechanics, the story that it won't be spoiler, and the information that's been released thus far through the different D&D Beyond and Dungeons & Dragons YouTube uh, channels. Like those, that information I'm still going to talk about a little bit. I gave an initial reaction, which was pretty much thumbs up. And that's not far from where I'm landing now, though I do have some issues. And before I start going through what I really like about this and what I really don't like about this, this point falls on both sides of that line. So what was... Uh, interesting about this, I thought, was that um, for the first time, Dungeons & Dragons design team in 5th edition decided to create campaign-only options for players. Now think about that for a second, because it only makes sense to have campaign-specific options for players. Wizards of High Sorcery, for example, uh, Knights of Salamnia, for example, Lunar subclass, though it's not campaign specific, they did create it specifically for Dragonlance. Um, and so I like that they're doing that, but then that begs the question, if you're going to create campaign specific content for players, why don't you make it specific to Dragonlance in the first place? It, it's, it blows my mind. You could have easily just said, okay, you know what? Sorcerers don't really exist at this point in Kryn's history, so we're only going to have campaign-specific wizards, and they must adhere to the lunar cycle that is campaign-specific, and then they get special bonuses at different phases of the moon, of which the order they're a member of, campaign-specific. So if you're already doing campaign-specific stuff, why not just go full in on Dragonlance for the Dragonlance adventure? It's weird that they only sort of dip their little toe in here, dip their little toe in there, and that's it. Just go all in. You're already saying that you love doing it. Just do it, you son of a... So, that bugged me. <laughs> and it was also awesome. You know, what are you going to do? It's frustrating. Hey, Michael, thanks for joining live, man. Good to see you. How you doing, Court? Okay, so, aside from the campaign specifics being the good and the bad about this... This is a great story. Like, I was worried that they were going to completely renege a lot of historic War of the Lands information. But this is so early on in the war that they don't really... And this is both a good and bad as well. They don't really affect anything. <laughs> so, so the good part of that is 
you're not going to ruin the story of the Chronicles or the original modules if you ever wanted to play those through in 5th edition, because this particular official adventure has no real bearing on any of that. It does explain who Consaldi Fire Eyes is, why she's there, and not Verminard as the red dragon high lord, and the explanation kind of makes sense. Um, kind of makes sense, you know? Not once, and this isn't a spoiler, I don't think, but it is something that I think is kind of interesting. I don't recall anyone ever mentioning in this entire adventure Erika's. Like, <laughs> not once. They, they literally mention the blue dragon high lord and the red dragon high lord over this, you know, campaign. But not, like, the leader of the dragon high lords, <laughs> which is weird. Um, and of course, you know, you have Lord Soth on the cover and you have his stat block and we know that he's a part of the adventure. But a part of the downside of this story is that I think we were misled about the amount of time or the amount of impact Lord Soth actually has over this adventure. I mean, I don't remember if, I, I don't know if you guys remember when this was first announced, it had talked about Lord Soth leading their dragon armies uh, into battle. Like armies of draconians, it's not a thing, like it, at all. It's not, a, and that's a good thing because I was like all frustrated and sort of butthurt about it, <laughs> you know, campaign love and all. Uh, it, it bothered me, but it's literally not even in this at all. So I don't know if they listened to the feedback that people were sort of shaking their fists about, or whether it was just a one of the many uh, miswordings that uh, Dungeons and Dragons has put out in their social media about this. So I don't know if that's accurate or not, but, and then, um, the story, you know, we're led to believe that it opens with this fishing contest that's in it, but that's not how you like meet everyone. That's not the, the, the reason for getting together where you get together. And it actually has a pretty endearing reason to do that, which I think is very interesting. And you get to know characters that are so much more filled out than uh, typical adventures that I've seen in the past, you know? Thanks, Anik. I appreciate that, really. Um, yes, you're absolutely right, John. Soth is just a background figure. Um, he's, he, he's featured in parts. It's just not many, and they're at the end. Understandably. Um, so I really like that the story itself didn't affect the greater War of the Lance at large, so it doesn't really mess up any canon. You know, it has little, like, canon-adjacent issues. And if you really wanted to get down in the nitty-gritty, you could bitch and moan about anything in this adventure, saying that it breaks some form of canon. But when you think about the, the history of Dragonlance changes, this really isn't even in the top five, in my opinion. What it did change that I don't ever recall being like this before was it detailed north of Calaman in the Plains of Salamnia more than any other adventure module or source book has full stop. And this is also interesting because it realized that space, I'm being delicate with my wording because I don't want to spoil anything, completely different than I ever recall it being before. And so this is, uh, uh, hey Chris, an interesting turn of events, you know, the way that they redefined that northern part of Salamnia. And I think they did it in a very engaging and interesting way. And it creates this sort of sandbox environment that I think for, for storytelling, for character exploration, the sense of freedom and willpower over your own history, your own, uh, the own story of your character's life, you know, as a player... I think it's a really great way to present this, uh, the adventure when you do get to that space. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just a, an interesting way of, of reframing it. And another part of the thing that they did really well in this entire adventure is whether you're in mass combat or whether you're just wandering around in any given area, they always provide you options for random encounters rather than just roll on a random monster encounter table. And and they're pretty creative as well. So, you know, you may run across, I don't, I don't want to spoil anything. Um, 
there's just a lot of different types of events that can occur that aren't necessarily combat encounters. And here's the other side of this that I also found really interesting about this adventure. And this may be par for the course for 5th Adventures. I don't know, 5th Edition Adventures. This is the first one I've read. I don't recall it being this built in in past editions. But they really do a good job of creating encounters that don't require combat. You would think that they would on the surface because if you're like me, old school D&D, you literally, like, you're dungeon crawling. And so nearly everything you come across is going to try to kill you or you're going to try to kill it. But in this adventure, they really focus heavily on the idea that it may be something that could attack you given X and Y situations, or it may be something that could even help you in X or Y situations. It entirely depends on how the players engage in that moment with that thing or those things. And that's a very exciting, again, player-driven story option. I think is uh, really, really great. Uh, hey, uh, Time It Al Alchemist? Uh, time It Alchemist? <laughs> I don't know how to say your name. Thanks for joining Lavin. It's good to see you. Um, this was a huge... I, ultimately, when you think about this could have been a Spelljammer situation, or even people who really hated Ravenloft um, 5e, this could have been a Ravenloft situation too. They really did a good job with this. And it must be, in my opinion, because the people who made it really like Dragonlance. And again... They upset me with dipping their toe in con or, uh, uh, campaign specifics here and there and then ignored glaring options for campaign specific options. But the story's great. It's entertaining. It allows tons of freedom. It's not a railroady thing like DL1 through uh, 14 or whatever, 16. And it's just a... I, I can't wait to play it. It's going to be a good time. Here's um, one part that I'm not really happy about that really caught me off guard. And I don't know if this is normal in 5th edition. I don't ever remember it being like this in any other edition. So this must be a 5th edition. Leveling. Leveling is milestone based. It's not, it's not experience based. That's really weird to me. Like you just show up at a certain time and in a certain place and suddenly you level because that's what the story needs you to be. It's a very, very strange way to game. Like, if you're, not, if you're not actively defeating encounters in order to gain... And defeating doesn't necessarily mean killing. It just means overcoming the obstacle. And gaining experience, how the hell do you know if you're actually ready for the next level? And then if, if that's the case, why is there experience in the game at all? Like, what's the point? If this is just like, oh, well, I thought you did a good job, so you're next level. What? <laughs> Well, you can't face the encounters unless you are that level, so I'm just going to put you at that level. And as a player, that bothers me because I don't feel like it's always earned. As a DM, it bothers me because it doesn't feel like you're rewarding players for their creativity, for what they've accomplished. You're just saying, well, you've reached this marker, you're now a new level. I mean, that's just strange. Very, very strange. And you do it throughout the entire adventure. And they say this is like for 1 to 10 level. No, no, no. It gets to 11 level before you, you finish this adventure out. I can't speak to the Mass Combat with Warriors of Crane board game. I am going to be playing the live version with that. Somehow we're going to have to figure it out. But um, it's interesting. Like reading all of the, the parts where you're supposed to engage with the battle in the board game and, you know, see the outcome and have that effect then the game options, I think, is an interesting addition. Though, if I have to be honest, and it may be in the board game, it wasn't really that present in the adventure, in, in this uh, Shadow of the Dragon Queen. I thought that was really strange, because they did so many videos talking about how the outcome of a Warriors of Kryn scenario affect the adventure going forward for your characters. Again, I only recall seeing it like once. And then it was very, very minimal. So either that's a straight up lie or they include that information in the board game specifically and not the adventure. Or alternatively, I totally missed them, which would be weird, but it's possible. So I thought that was a little bit strange. Um, hey, Salad, how you doing? Uh, they should have just started characters at third level. It's not as bad as it sounds. 
and it may not be, and it may feel very fluid because you're going through so many different situations in between each milestone. It just feels weird to me because I'm not used to it. You know what I mean? So take it for what it's worth. Um, okay, so I love the diversity of the environments and the challenges. Again, not everything is hack and slash and murder. That can be fun, but it's also fun to sort of think <laughs> as a player, right? I mean, the whole point of playing a character is that you're, you're immersing yourself in who that is. It's not you. So you have to think through the character sheet in order to understand, contextualize, and, and think about what, you know, the, the actions that you want to take. And I find that a very entertaining method of play. I know some people just play themselves all the time, like what they would be if they were these superhero, you know, fighters and stuff. But I like, I like it when characters immerse themselves and actually play as the character. And this encourages that. I mean, it doesn't deter the other version of playing. It's just that, it, you know, the way this is set up, it is definitely set up so that it encourages you to think as your characters in this world and how you're going to react to the, the different encounters because of that. But it's also really heavy on narration. Like, uh, I think that's really great. So the, the challenges, I think, are really great. Um, the environments, again, my first adventures as a kid, you know, very young, <laughs> young Adam, were hack and slash dungeons. So the environments of Dungeons and Dragons to me was literally dungeons. Like, that's it. There was no overland anything. I started playing Dragonlance and suddenly I was like, oh, we can actually do overland stuff and we can do aerial combat and we can do ocean combat. And like, there's a whole, again, it's not in the rules. That's just how I interpreted the game because that's how I played the game. This has so many different environments from, yes, there are situations of like dungeon crawl type stuff. But there's also aerial stuff and, you know, like it has everything. It's really, really cool. And you get a, they, they highlight really well, specifically two locations as these sort of base locations uh, and ends up being one for the majority of it. But, you know, it starts by uh, really fleshing out two locations in, um, in Salamia. Uh, I don't think it's technically Salamia. I think it's um, Estwild or something like that, or it's near it. Anyway, um, it gives you more information than we've ever had for any city other than Solace or Palanthus. And that's really cool too, because they're building out. And again, they changed some stuff. And so it's a little bit wonky, weird for Dragonlance fans who know these cities from adventures or from books. But the changes aren't so egregious that they don't fit in with Dragonlance. They just fit in with this campaign and this version, the fifth edition version of Dragonlance. And I didn't mind it at all. I thought it was a really great way to just delve into the Dragonlance world hyper-locally in this, you know, one region. And uh, it ended up being very entertaining. And I, I can't wait to have characters explore these, these areas. It's going to be a lot of fun. Just, just really, really great. I also really like how they deal with mass combat in a battle scenario. So, for example, if you are engaged in this massive warfare, right, um, at the very top of the round, at, at zero of the round order, of initiative order, you, as a DM, roll on a chart to tell you what random mass battle event occurs in that round, in that initiative round. And that adds this dimension and depth to uh, the mass combat that I just hadn't considered before as a random table option. I usually just have encounters happen because, you know, that's as a DM how I'm imagining it all unfolding narratively. But to have that random option that's different for every single encounter, no matter where you are, is another great way of presenting the chaos of war, of a battlefield. I thought that was really creative. I will have to say that for the players of mine who are going through the Forget the Kender campaign right now, the Saga system game. We're finishing it tomorrow, actually. Um, this mini campaign, four episodes. I felt like I was reading my own adventure when I was reading this adventure because the, I don't know, the first third of it is very much like my campaign that I'm running right now. And so I was like, oh, I'm glad I did, ran my campaign first because then it, it, if, if I didn't run the Saga game first, it would have seemed like I was copying this adventure. 
I clearly wasn't because it wasn't out. So, you know, that sort of covers my took us for, you know, creatively anyway. But I, I thought it was really, really strange how closely some of these story beats match up with what I'm running. And it was also a little disconcerting. I'm like, oh, man, it's just this consciousness, you know, this open consciousness in the area of adventuring. Now the players that I'm going to be bringing into this campaign are going to feel like I'm just sort of rehashing some elements. Eventually it goes above and beyond of what I did, but it's, the similarities are there, and that kind of bugged me a little bit. Um, so I love the campaign-specific mechanics, the focus on narrative and role-playing, the diversity of environments and challenges, and the overall story I thought was great. What I didn't like, again, the milestone leveling. Um, I don't like the 5th edition version of Magic and Wizards. I think it's weird. It, it doesn't make sense to me. If you're going to be the super badass spellcaster, you have to study, you have to memorize, you know, you have to go through those sort of exercises. I just don't like the 5th edition version of everyone always gets to throw magic around and it's just like not even... There's no... Uh, there's no earning the magic, you know? It's just sort of given to you. It, it feels very much like a priest praying to their god except it's just the mage sort of like, you know, Care Bear staring their powers. It's very, very weird. It's misleading with all of the videos that have been released and the art that's been released about what this campaign basically, basic story is, because it's, you know, they, they really did mislead us in a lot of different ways. And you do that intentionally for surprise and so you don't spoil the story and stuff, but I don't know. I, I feel like they could have been in vague and, and they would have, they would have avoided a lot of the headaches of fan backlash if they just would have gave truthful, vague story beats rather than story beats that were so vague that they led people in a completely wrong direction and made them shake their fists and scream in the heavens. And who cares if people do that? But as a game company, I don't know. I, I would feel better about having the surprises be genuine, not misleading. Um, let's see. Wizards are the OP. They're very annoying. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they are. I just don't like the idea of mages of high sorcery. And they do say straight up in the in the adventure that, look, if you cast magic at a high level, you can actually be a member of the orders. Which, yeah, that's 100% true. And they talk about how, you know, the renegade system works. And I thought they did a really good job with presenting the idea of taking the test of high sorcery at at when it comes up. Because ultimately, if you get to third level... If you want to advance to fourth level, you have to take the test of high sorcery, become a member of the orders of high sorcery. You can't do that if you're embroiled in a war. You know, if you're in the middle of all of these sort of chaotic events, they did a really w wonderful job of saying, okay, well, this is why you're not going to take the test now. You know it's in the mail, you know it's coming, but you can't do it at this moment. And so when it does finally come around and you're presented with the, the option of saying, okay, this is a point where you can actually have the characters take a test. It gives you suggestions for how to run it. It gives you some basic ideas about how to customize it. Very, very basic. About how to customize it to individual characters and their motivations and stuff. But there's no reason to be a member of the order of the black robes versus the red robes or the white robes. Like, there's no benefits or drawbacks. There's no... Um, th there's no uh, uh, restrictions or benefits you're just that order based on your alignment. And that's not really what the orders were all about. You know, you, you hyper-specialized in specific schools, depending on your order. That's what it originally was, anyway. Now, it's just like, you know, you have access to whatever you have access to, and, you know, as long as you act this certain way, then that's the color of robe you have. So it's, it's a little... No, it's not a little. It's a lot hollow, really, when you think about it. What bugs you? The fact that most of the races have dark vision. <laughs> yeah. Well, dwarves and elves make sense to me. Um, Kender, I don't, I can't remember. I can look it up right here real quick. But uh, I always thought, uh, you know, some of them have it, some of them don't. You know, that's just how old school D&D was too. So that doesn't really bother me at all. Uh, kind of annoying that every subclass gets some kind of magic. It's very strange. Hey, Ahodai, or Ahoda. <laughs> I don't know if I'm saying it right. Yeah, I think that is a little bit strange too, but that's the system. And it was the same situation in fourth edition. 
So, you know, that's just sort of the direction that D&D's gone in a very, very long, long time. So we just sort of have to accept it or play older versions or play a different game. Um, let's see. 5e, in your opinion, has mixed results of adventure books. The ones that are good or great are legitimately fun. Hopefully the next uh, Dragonlance is a lore book with 5e. You know, I, the way that they presented the ending of this adventure, I don't think they're going to be going back to Dragonlance. Not before 1D&D kicks off. And even then, historically, they're not going to do it until the end of the life cycle of 1D&D. I think this is as good as we're going to get as far as official 5th edition content. And that's why they opened it up to third-party players to fill in the the narrative and, and campaign gaps in um, Dungeon Master's Guild. And that's just, you know, I think that's just the reality of it. We're not going to get any more official anything, but if there are creators that you enjoy following their work, they are going to be able to put up their version of Dragonlance Adventures and stuff. And so, you know, Dragonlance Nexus has been doing that for a long time. I'm going to have a conversation them, with them tomorrow about their Tasselhoff's uh, pouches of everything revised that's going to be available uh, and that gives you a, a very good campaign start and rule base for Dragonlance in 5th edition that is different than what Watsi has done and so that may resonate more with you um, yeah leaving it for homebrew Kevin 100% hey Skull Cowboy yeah, the tests of High Sorcerer are always a little bit, you know, they're either super customized and intriguing for the one person or they're super generic and sort of hollow, you know? Like, if, if you don't... And, and the, the complexity of a test, especially as presented in this, is really just based around one aspect because you've already gone through so much already in this adventure. But typically, you know, there's there's specific little check boxes for a test that you have to kind of check off. That was really presented in Saga System, and then it was fleshed out more in 3.5 edition. But it's really up to the Dungeon Master to make it engaging, you know? Otherwise, tests of high sorcery can feel really dopey and kind of pointless. And I think it's best personified in reading Raceland Majir's Test of High Sorcery. Because... It sucks. Let's just be honest. It's lame. Like every book, and there's three stories that have specifically highlighted Raceland's test. Every three of them, all three of them, I'm left wanting more from them because they're just not good. Uh, and that's just the reality of it. They're just not entertaining. They're, they're really basic, very structured, and like this happens and this happens and this happens and blah, it's over. You don't even really feel like there's any danger because Fisandalus steps in the whole time. So that's why it's really important for DMs to, to really understand the player's character and customize the stories for them so that it feels like it's something they earned and something special. Um, what happens if they don't want to take the test? Well, they don't have to take the test. And this is the part that bothers me because they do talk about renegades, but they don't really talk about them in the context of actively being hunted and murdered if they don't join the orders. And, you know, that's a big deal. You know, there has to be consequences. Otherwise, why join the fraternity? You know, the Order of High Sorcery. Because that's all it becomes, is just a frat house for wizards to just sort of, like, polish each other's knobs. Without the consequence and the structure of the magic on Kryn being controlled, for very real reasons, based on the history of Kryn, then there's no reason for the Order. And that's what they've left right here. That's a real big drawback, in my personal opinion, about the way that Watsi is approaching Dragonlance in this, is that the moons don't actually have real influence at all. The gods, which are the gods of magic, have zero influence. With the lunar sorcerer, it has nothing to do with the gods. It has everything to do with the sorcerer themselves saying, I like that phase of the moon, and these are the benefits I get from that phase of the moon. That's, that's it. That's a personal choice. It has nothing to do with cosmology or gods or anything. And that feels very strange, specifically in Dragonlance, to me. Um, I always loved the idea that magic was like a drug. 
made you feel great when you were doing it. The anticipation of that pleasure was just otherworldly. And then after you did cast a spell, you were drained emotionally and physically. Like you, it hit you hard. Using magic is like using drugs, you know? Um, I always liked that approach to it. And again, that's all narrative story-based stuff, but it's narrative story-based stuff that's specific to Dragonlance that's very important to the idea of magic in this world. Because it's so structured, it's so ordered, it's so protected, because it's so powerful and dangerous that they have to prevent specific races from ever even casting it. Kender. Um, and that the reason why it's... Uh, protected is because they want to make sure that uh, it's used properly and when you open the floodgates to things like sorcerers or um, rogues or bards or any other spellcasting class to be able to then tap into the magic use it willy-nilly and not have any consequence and not have them hunted down and murdered for using it inappropriately it's no longer dragonlance now it's just any other high magic world which is strange um, the way that they deal with the gods being gone, so how can there be healers in the prelude, I think is, I think is as good as you could expect it to be deal, uh, dealt with. I enjoyed it. Um, I thought it was, you know, when you think about the War of the Lands in the context, we followed the companions on their journey, and that's how they discovered magic. And yes, Goldmoon opened it up to people like Elistan, who then also spread out religion to the rest of the world. But that's a hyper-local to Abanasinia event. Up here, you know, regionally around Kryn or Ancelon, there could be other situations of the gods reaching out to mortals, saying, hey, we're still here, we want to help shit's about to hit the fan. <laughs> so the way that they uh, breach that God coming back, providing magic to clerics or healers, I thought was pretty entertaining and it was pretty good. I also really liked the prelude, how they approach casters and they want to present the concept of this fraternity of magic. Again, I don't always agree and I certainly don't really like the way that they approached it, but I like the introduction to it because it sets expectations and it gives you this sense of, of wonder and a nice little puzzle to sort of get through initially. And then, of course, there's a third prelude version of a short little story uh, bit that introduces you to combat um, with the dragon armies, very, very small scale, and introduces you to some other characters and stuff. So I thought that was a really great way of including, well, we have to do something to explain healing. We have to do something to introduce the Orders of High Sorcery. Now, let's just give the warrior and fighters something. And so, you know, everyone gets a little bit of something, and then you get to start the adventure proper with everyone fully immersed in this campaign world. And I liked it, ultimately. Magic High Levels needs to be kept in check. You can't have people making wish spells all the time. Yeah, I agree. Um, and really, with, with Dragonlance, you know, they didn't approach it because they didn't have the adventure go up to 18th level or more. But historically in Dragonlance, you're kicked out of the world once you're, you know, over 18th level. Because you're too powerful. You're just... This is not supposed to be a high-powered world. This is a low-powered world with low magic. Low magic meaning it's confined and it's structured and, you know, it, it is ordered. It is not just random and chaotic and everyone has access to everything. Just not in 5th edition. <laughs> and arguably the reason why it wasn't put out in 4th edition because that's how 4th edition was. Everyone was superpowered, um, you know, MMO players. Is there really a half-orc early in the adventure? I don't remember a half-orc at all. I'll, I'll have to look again. I don't think there's a half-orc anywhere in this adventure. Um, is Dalimar really leading leader of Sylvanesty Elves with no mention of the Towers of High Sorcery? Um, okay, well, you put it in the chat, so I'm not spoiling anything, but no, Dalimar is not a leader at all. Uh, and in certainly the way that they present his character in this adventure, he's not leading really anyone. He's... When he shows up, he's embroiled on his own thing, even though he's with other people that are also doing something. But he has his own machinations and stuff. And it's not the Dalimar that we know as Raceland's apprentice. And we have to remember, 
Dalimar does not become Raceland's apprentice until Legends. So until Raceland is the master of past and present. And so this is not that Dalimar. This is a very young, very different Dalimar who has not fully realized himself as we know him. And certainly not the Dalimar that's the master of the tower himself. So just temper that. This is way before all of that. So yeah, he is going to be different because he hasn't gone through everything to become who he eventually becomes. In the same way that Raceland Majir in uh, Dragons of Autumn Twilight is very different from Raceland Majir in Time of the Twins, you know? Um, yeah, Preburn, for sure. Half Ogre, yes. Half Orc, no. And there are Ogres in Dragonlance, so that's not a big deal. Um, let's see, what else? No mention of Towers of High Sorcery. You're right, there aren't. But there aren't Towers of High Sorcery in this area. So why would they bring it up, you know? I mean, the, the fact is, is that all of the information that's in this as a sort of a world source book is super hyper-localized to the area that you are actually playing the adventure in. And so anything outside of that, they just don't bring up because it's not important. The truth is there's YouTube channels like this one that have tons of videos about all of the world of Kryn. There's source books from first edition all the way up that fill in tons of gaps about world building and what Kryn is. So if you really want to learn about it, this adventure is not the place to do that. Wikis and, um, or wikis or however you guys say them, uh, this channel, source books, those are the places you go to get really good in-depth information about Dragonlance, about the campaign world. That's really not what they were trying to do, and so I'm not surprised that they didn't do it. You're already making your evil plans. Um, all right, so any other questions or comments about this? Because that's pretty much all I wanted to talk about. I wanted to give you my opinion. You know, if I'm going to give this a rating out of five plates of Odic Spice Potatoes, I'm going to give this four. Because the problems I have with the way that Watsi's dealing with Dragonlance, there's nothing I can do about it. That's their decision. That's the way 5th edition as a game is built and structured. I understand the choices they made, though to me they are illogical and there's other ways to approach them. So you either homebrew some options or you go with the 5th edition official if you're going to play 5th edition. Otherwise, you have every other edition to play and enjoy. Um, so I, I knock it down for that, but only one plate because there's not, you can't do anything. It's already done, you know, it exists. Everything else about this is Dragonlance to me. And I, I don't, I'm sure you're going to get a bunch of people saying, this isn't my Dragonlance. All right, fine. That's fine. For me, looking at the scope of Dragonlance history that has gone and where they're coming back to and the actual story that's being told, this is 100% Dragonlance. 100%. And it feels good when you're reading it. Like, it, it feels like they actually cared. There's little things thrown in there, like the gnomish inventions and stuff. Super creative and fun. Like, every single one of them is just goofy and awesome. And they can actually help you in the game. You know, it's not just like this throwaway line of, oh, you got a little wind-up toy. Like, it actually feels good. Um... Yeah, so this may all fall flat once I play it. <laughs> once I run it with a bunch of players, it may end up sucking totally. But uh, this has really great potential for a whole lot of fun for people who love Dragonlance and want something completely different and completely new set in Kryn in an era that hasn't really been explored all that much just before the War of the Lands really hits home. It gives excuses and reasons why the the people you face in this is the big baddies are the ones you face and it makes logical sense though you know you may not personally like it for your own flavor of Dragonlance but it makes sense why it is the way it is and to be honest with all of the misleading I think that's why I'm pleasantly surprised because I was expecting A and I got B B's not bad <laughs> all right I know it's really vague so it's hard to do a spoiler-free review about an adventure when you're trying to explain why you like it, you know? You, just, you don't want to spoil anything, because one, I, I want that to be surprising to the players, and 
too. It's just, it's nice to have stuff naturally unfold. And you're not going to experience everything in this adventure. Depending on the actions you take, you may completely ignore some parts of it. And that's part of the, the wonder of this, is that if a character leaves, that doesn't mean they're dead. It doesn't mean they're going to come back but they may have some sort of impact later on. And depending on how you interacted with them is going to impact what happens later on. And I, I like those little ideas. There's not a ton of stuff like that, but it is present. That's kind of cool. You want to drive to work in real life, Tinker Gnomes? Are... <laughs> I'd be afraid of blowing up <laughs> driving to work in a Tinker Gnome vehicle. Sounds really good news. Yeah, I, I thought it was. I, I really enjoyed it. Did the story change the lore of the War of the Lance? No, it did not. It presented an alternate viewpoint and it actually gave a really interesting reason about why Lord Soth in the War of the Lands doesn't want to join, you know, because of how this story unfolds. He sort of got a bad taste in his mouth and, and that's sort of the reason why it takes Kitiara to convince him. I kind of like that. I think it's interesting. I At the period of time that this is in, I don't think Kitiara should even be leading the dragon high lords i'll have to look at the specific year timestamps, but in my memory she's not supposed to be there yet but she is so i don't know maybe my timeline is off a little bit just in memory but you're afraid of d <laughs> bruno <laughs> thanks for joining live i was afraid it was gonna eat shit and it doesn't and i think if you are a creative dm and if you are players who have an open mind about experiencing a new campaign, if you're not familiar with Dragonlance, or if you want to experience a new version of 5th edition Dragonlance, this could be a really, really fun time. I mean, genuinely. The art... Oh, let me talk about the art. I don't want to be finished yet. I want to talk about the art before I, I hang up here. <laughs> hang up. That, the whole... The, the phrase hang up comes from like telephones, old school telephones, where you actually picked it up, talked to someone, and there was like this really great moment when you wanted to just hit them home hard about, I don't want to talk about talk to you anymore. You just slam the phone. Like that, that act, the sensation of slamming a phone down on a phone call that you're angry about is so satisfying. It doesn't exist anymore. You can't slam your phone down. You'll break it. Like you have to be delicate and you're not hanging up. You're clicking a button. So hanging up was the act of actually having the receiver of the phone and hanging it up. <laughs> that doesn't make sense anymore. Like, I, I would be curious if younger generations than mine, I'm Gen Z, if they have any sense of what the hell that means. Hang up the phone? <laughs> you know? Because they've never, they don't have home phones. That's not a thing. I don't know. It'd be interesting. Anyway, wouldn't she be in her mercenary days? She, that's what I was saying. Like, I think she, in this time frame, she's supposed to be maybe a part of the dragon army, but not quite where she, you know, where we meet her later in the War of the Lands. So, you do not meet Kidiara in this adventure. I want to make that clear. I know that sounds like that's what I'm leading to, but I don't want to set up expectations. There's no point where you as a player meet Kidiara. So, don't think that that's in this. There, There's just some sort of background information that's shared that, makes me go, mm, I'm not sure. But what are you going to do? Uh, you don't want to be, you don't get to be in the adventure. Hey, concerned. Uh, yeah, no, she's not. Don't, don't. I mean, there's, she's not actively in it. <laughs> I don't want to spoil anything, but I want to, you know, whatever. Now, are you going to review the Tassel patches of everything expanded? Yes, I am. Um, I'm going to have a conversation with the creators about why they made a revised version tomorrow night. And then um, they sent me a, a, a version of it, a review copy of it. So I'm going to read through that and give you my opinions on that. I hope it's good because I really like the people at Dragonlance Nexus. And I would hate to talk smack about their product, but I am going to be honest. So I have every reason to believe it's going to be good because the last one was good. No fighting your childhood crush. <laughs> Dude, she's great. Kidiar is great. Okay, so that's, oh, the art. I want to talk about the art before I went off on the telephone tangent. Um, the art is a little bit World of Warcrafty, not as much as fourth edition was, but the, the color palettes and the sort of bubbly cartoony version of the art is just not old school Dragonlance. And 
you can say that, you know, how could you ever have that anyway? You know, that's an unfair expectation, except that, you know, these artists are still alive and they're still working. You know, you have Matt Stawicki, who is an amazing artist who you didn't even tap at all, who would have been perfect for this. You still have Larry Elmore kicking rocks around. Like you could have tapped him to do something. But instead, and I don't want to knock the artists because the artists are genuinely talented and they're good. It's the art directors and the creative directors that are telling them, how, you know, what styles to, to illustrate in and how to portray different scenes and stuff. And it's just a little bit more cartoony than I expect Dragonlance to be. Again, Dragonlance isn't supposed to be World of Warcraft. It's, it's supposed to be a grittier wartime environment. You know, in the Age of Despair, it's called that for a reason. <laughs> like... You know, every, like mute your color palettes. Everything is sort of grim, to be quite honest. Disease is running rampant. There are organizations out there just taking advantage of people because, you know, it's weird religious movements. Um, you've got uh, dangers of being just robbed or knifed in the street traveling from, you know, your town to another town. I mean, this is a very dangerous world and gritty environment. So to have these sort of bubbly bright images it just kind of feels weird you know so like the covers i think are fine personally i don't think they're great but i think they're fine the interior art though it, it gets pretty especially when you're dealing with like uh gnomes <laughs> it gets pretty ridiculous like not dragons <laughs> any tika style wenches <laughs> interesting phrasing um I didn't see any uh, cast iron pans, <laughs> so as far as that's concerned, they, I mean, if your question is, do they have interesting NPCs? Yes. NPCs that can even border on being companions? Absolutely. That are, that are very engaging and very fun. You get, from magic users to wannabe Knights of Salamnia. Like, it just runs the whole gamut. It's very, very cool the way that they fleshed out some of these characters that you're going to be engaging with. As far as, you know, this grand story. Uh, wonder how to do mass combat using the virtual tabletop. Well, what I'm going to do is the same thing I did with the Dungeons & Dragons Adventure System board game. Uh, the Castle Ravenloft and the um, Wrath of a Shardalon board games. Is I'm going to set up a table right next to my computer. And I'm going to have another camera, just top-down view. And whenever it comes time for a person, like, I'll, I'll have all the players' cards, like, laid out. And if there's like a private card or something, I'm just going to take a photo, text it to them so they have immediate access to all the cards they need. And that's how I'm going to run the board game. And that's how I'm planning on running the board game anyway. I was thinking about like trying to take photos of everything and put it up in a virtual tabletop like Roll20. But there's like 133 of just one type of the cards that you're going to be using in that board game. That's too much. Too much to be taking photos of everything and then throwing them up. And yeah, it's... It's a pain in the tuchus. Not going to do it. So I'm going to go a little more old school, but hopefully it works and hopefully it's entertaining. The more you hear, the more you're glad you spent the money. Yeah, me too. Me too. I was, I was afraid, especially because it's a high price point. If you get the deluxe version, it's expensive. You know, especially we're in a recession, like economically, people are suffering right now. So for a company to put that big of a price tag on something, I mean, even just the book, that book right there, that's expensive. That's like 50 bucks for a book. It's not even, it, it's under 300 pages, I think. So that's an insane amount of money for material that if you're a player, you're only going to be referencing the first chapter of the entire book and you just spent 50 bucks on it. So that's a little weird to me. Um, but if you are like putting the money in, then you want to make sure you get it back. Now, I don't know if Warriors of Kryn board game is going to be good. It might eat shit. I don't know. As soon as I get it, I'll review it. I'll let you know. But hopefully that adds a new immersive element to telling this story. Oh, another side of this that um, I didn't really talk about was that if you don't have the Wars of Kryn board game, it does have options for you to still feel like you're in mass combat and still have those big events. So it's, you know, it's not like if you don't have it, then you miss out. It's just a different way to resolve the situation of what's happening in that moment. So you do get to really enjoy, you know, the game at that time. Um, nice. 
brother Gen X's, the generation that didn't actually do anything. <laughs> that's, that's Gen X. <laughs> Someday you want a magical lexicon. That'd be cool. All right. That's all I had for this. Uh, I hope you guys are having a great Black Friday. I don't know. That's weird to say that because that's a commercial thing. Uh, if you guys are looking for Dungeons & Dragons, like physical books, you could, there's an affiliate link in the description of this video. They actually have them on sale right now. So you can just click right through, hook the channel up just a little, you know, wet our beak just a little bit, but also save an insane amount of money because they have really good deals on Amazon for the Dungeons & Dragons books. If you want to get them digitally, you know, you can just go to D&D Beyond and they do have them like 20% off. So it's not a lot, but it is still saving you some money. And so that's always nice if you do digital stuff like I do. Um, but that's it. So four out of five plates of Odic Spice potatoes for Dragonlance Shadow of the Dragon Queen. This is a good Dragonlance story. It's not one that needed to be told. But for fifth edition, since it didn't have anything Dragonlance, I think it's a good choice. It's a good option. And you should definitely check it out. And if you don't, you can always watch the games that I'm going to be running on it. All right. That's going to do it. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. I actually had it open so I could actually... Uh, like look at the D&D Beyond with you guys if you ever wanted to. Oh, you know what? Let's do that really quick. I gotta, I think this is the right one. See, like this artwork, super bubbly and colorful and it's cute. It's good. It's just doesn't feel to me, just personally, doesn't feel like Dragonlance at all. It's just sort of too cute, you know? But what are you going to do? So anyway, that's it. Uh, I appreciate you guys. Have a great day. Hey, Arrakis, thanks for tuning in. Appreciate you. Um, always remember that this channel is all about celebrating the wonderful world of the Dragonlance Saga. And I thank you so much for joining me in the celebration. Uh, if you really want to support this channel, click that stupid uh, subscribe button. And click the like button if you enjoy this video or any other video you watch on this channel that you enjoy. Uh, it all goes to help other Dragonlance fans learn about this channel and its content. Once again, my name's Adam for Dragonlance Saga, and until next time, Slanjavar.